This morning I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 24. I love to, uh, I would love just to tell you a whole lot of stories about things that I've seen taking place, but I, I believe that it's important always that we understand that every ministry, all ministries must be driven by the Word of God. And uh, scriptures are what we need to hear from. We need to hear from God, not just man's ideas. And so important to come to Matthew chapter 24, and you will recognize this as a passage when Jesus is, uh, has uh, had an experience um, with his disciples. He's in the, the last uh, days before he's going to the cross and then going to, uh, to be eventually uh, exalted to the right hand of God the Father and high. And he says, in starting in chapter 24, verse 1, we'll start off there, on the temple mount in Jerusalem. He said, Jesus came out from the temple. And he was going away when his disciples came up to him to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came... As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let's bow down and ask the Lord's blessing on His Word. Father, we come before You, and we're so grateful that You are here with us today. Father, I pray that You would empower me with Your strength I pray, Father, you would help uh, me to be strong physically. I pray you'd help me to be strong, Lord, in, as I understand this message for myself, that I would apply it. I pray, Father, that you would speak through these words today and, and use by your Spirit, Lord, these words to, to penetrate our hearts and mobilize this church. I thank you, Lord, for the church at Stanton. And so, Father, I pray that you would just... Um, be with us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I think about uh, what's taking place in the last uh, number of, of years, I'm thinking, man, what a world we're living in. And we are seeing extremely rapid changes taking place culturally, but globally as well. We all know that. We all feel it. We sense it. It's not just global pandemics. It's it's not just it's masses of immigration, it's upheaval globally, financially, and we're feeling the pressures of that more now. There's so much 
in question anymore. Morality around the globe being pressed in ways that we have cannot even imagine a few years ago. How are we supposed to get along? What's the future going to bring? What are we as Christians supposed to do in light of all this kind of world that's upheaval that's happening around us? It's something that I think about. Well, Jesus, I believe, gives us a good perspective here. He tells us what to do. He reminds us that we need to practice eternal living in a very temporal world. And I believe we can see that in this passage today. We need to practice eternal living in a temporal world. After all, when we come, we understand that this world is a world that Jesus really predicted, isn't it? It really is. And so um, you can follow along your outline. I've got the blanks you can fill in there. I'll try to go along with them. You can just kind of follow along in the passage with me. But this is a world that Jesus predicted. The questions raised by the disciples were this. He says, do you, uh, as he pointed out the, the buildings to them, uh, they said, tell us, in verse 3, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? The temple is going to be destroyed? Are you kidding me? I mean, to the picture of the, you see now of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is in the news a lot this last week um, because of the riots that the Palestinians are trying to do from, from the Dome of the Rock and from the, the uh, other mosques up there as well on that Temple Mount. There's all kinds of problems going on, but if you can imagine that there was a, a temple that was much more glorious than that gold dome of the rock, beautiful and glorious, one of the ancient wonders of the world in many ways, people would say. Uh, I'm not sure it actually made that list of seven, but, uh, but it was worthy of that quality. And, and it was amazing for them to see that. And Jesus says, every one of those stones is going to be taken and thrown down, not one stone left standing there. And you know, when you go to Jerusalem today, you can go there and you can see where the Romans came in A.D. 70 and, and wiped off the top of that Temple Mount, and those stones were just pushed off the edge, and they're there today. You can see the rubble still there of many of those stones. And they're asking the question, when is that going to take place, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, they maybe thought all those were all the same thing, <laughs> but they obviously weren't. And there's some things coming. And so Jesus begins to answer his question. And in verses uh, 3 through 8, he starts to his answer at the beginning to, to kind of explain to them what was going to take place. He goes, well, um, see to it that no one misleads you. There's going to be many come in my name. They're going to be saying that I'm the Christ. You've got to mislead people. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be Ukraine. There's going to be uh, the possibilities that we know uh, of um, Iran within weeks, most likely, will be having enough material to produce a nuclear weapon. It's, it's, they're that close now. And so there has been ratcheting up in Israel, uh, a whole nationwide preparation for, um, to be on the alert for an attack against them as a nation is taking place now. And their military has also been all getting ratcheted up to, to be able to, as one whole unit, to be able to, to deliver an, a battle that they're going to have to fight. And so people are wondering, is something going to happen with Iran? Of course, we all see Ukraine and Russia, yes, and there's other places around the world. I know that when I was going to go to a trip in March to Africa, the place that we were going to go was to go straight north of Nairobi into an area 
um, of the desert. But uh, when we got there, they took us to another area, to the Samburu people instead, because uh, Isla Tassi says, it's our policy not to take short-term teams into places where they're having gun battles, which we appreciated. <laughs> we appreciated that uh, quite a lot. So uh, those tribes are fighting one another. And uh, so this kind of thing is happening around the world. It's not just the big places that we see on the news that are only focused on zero of those things. He says, you'll be hearing of wars, rumors of wars, but don't be frightened, for these things must take place. That's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places, famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And then he says this. He begins to focus in, he wants to declare a new intensity of things that's going to take place. Now it's not just these global things on a general scale, but now it's a more personal level. He looks here at verses 9, he says, and, and you see what is happening here as he describes in verses 9 through 13, he's going to begin to talk about either the first half of the tribulation that's to come, as many would surmise. Why would verses 9 through 14 perhaps be the first half of the tribulation? Because in verse 15, what does it say? It says, there. therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of through Daniel the prophet, well, when does that come? That comes in the middle of the tribulation period. So maybe 9 through 14 is the first half of the tribulation, but at least we would know this, that it, this is the intensity of things that's going to happen before all of these end things come at the end, the tribulation period. That uh, seven years that, of tribulation that happens, recorded in Revelation, that happens before the 1,000-year reign of Christ. And you know what it describes here in verses 9 through 14. Increased persecution and martyrdom. I mentioned in Sunday school today that, uh, that this is increase of persecutions happening around the world. In India, 55% of the ministries there have been shut down by the government. Do you know that in India they are openly discussing and talking about changing the name of India to Hindustan? So there will not be a country that was set up by the British that is, uh, was open to all religions equally, they will make it like uh, Iran has made Islam, their, their, their Shiite version of Islam, their way of ruling their country. They want to do that in India with Hinduism. And so that actually has been taking place. There's all kinds of persecution. There's Hindu groups that are going out. There's young people groups of Hindus that are coming. And when there's places and villages where there's Christians or Christian churches, they come and they challenge them. And they'll say to them, uh, you are a Christian, you don't get electricity. We turn off your water supply. If you come back to Hinduism, then we will give these back to you again. We won't let you shop in our grocery stores. How would you like that? The pastors there that are taken into prison and beaten and challenged because they asked, passed new laws that if you convert and you're involved in somebody's conversion, then you can be put in prison for many years, and a large fine as well. And all of that's been taking place. And the Christians are living in the middle of this. And they're tracking uh, where funds come from and so forth and so on. It's difficult. That's just India. You can ratchet that up around the world in so many other places. Increased persecution and martyrdom. You know there's more people who are dying today because of Jesus Christ than happened up until the year uh, 2000? all combined. It's an amazing thing that's happening. 
And then it says in verse 9, it says, you'll be hated by all nations because of Jesus' name. Christianity is going to lose its repute in lots of places. It already has in many countries. Because of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you better know that in this land that that's happening more and more as well. And I tell you, young people, it's worth following Jesus because Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to be on top. Jesus is the one who's going to control all things. But in this world, you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. Who am I going to follow? Who am I going to follow? Even though it might not be easy. And it says in verse 10 that people are going to be falling away. There's going to be an apostasy from the faith. There's many, many denominations in America that have just completely left the gospel of Jesus Christ behind. I remember talking with uh, one pastor in Lincoln, retired man of another denomination. He says, I know of nobody in my denomination, and he mentioned, or another denomination. I know of no pastors in those places that believe in the virgin birth, that believe that the Bible is God's word, and that believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. I was, I was stunned in my soul, but not surprised in my head because I've heard such things before. That's a reality. You need to be people of the book, and people of the truth, people of the gospel. There'll be people falling away from the face of people betraying and hating one another, seemingly, in verse 10b, for what they believe. <laughs> Do we have any problems with, uh, with people having rancor <laughs> taking place in our country? People uh, getting upset with one another and, and, man, taking sides brutally? Yeah. And then false prophets will mislead many. It's amazing that even amongst evangelical leaders, there are those who are saying things that we thought, what? You're teaching that now? Who knows where Andy Stanley is going to end up? Who knows where Francis Chan is going to end up? Who knows where... We have to keep our books open and our fingers in the text, friends. You praise the Lord have got such a marvelous pastor, a wise pastor, a good and godly man who's a man of the book. Praise God for that. And then it says lawlessness will be increased. Riots, BLM, Antifa, that's our nation. Think about the rest of the world. It's incredible. And the effects of lawlessness is love of many will grow cold. There'll be people say, man, I, they'll grow cold towards each other. Yes, but I think grow cold towards God as well. This is what Jesus describes is going to happen in the end time. Is that not, was he not in tune and touch a long time ago with what the world's like? He knows it. But then he says this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Do you know what that means? There's a good news there because that means that you can endure to the end. You can endure to the end through all of this. Your families can endure to the end. Your churches can endure to the end. You yourself can endure to the end. And when you do, you'll be saved. When you stay true to the truth and the reality of the gospel. It's possible. And he wanted to make it clear that you don't have to just fall into this, just going to overwhelm us, or the flood's going to take us away. We're going to be, we can't stand it, I guess. We'll just go with the flow. No, we can stand. But Jesus 
than has given us a mandate. It's amazing. In such days like this, how are we supposed to respond? Well, verse 14 is the mandate. He says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Look at each phrase of this. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Interesting phrase. This isn't the gospel of salvation. It's not the gospel of Jesus. Could have said those things. It's not um, the gospel of forgiveness. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The good news about the kingdom. Now, when it begins to talk about the kingdom, we see that this is something different. This is gospel is not just about individuals being saved. This is not just about people getting their own ticket to heaven. It's that, but so much more than that. You see, when we become followers of Jesus, we become part of a kingdom. And he's talking about the good news of a kingdom that's coming. We sang about it, and the mighty fortress is our God. Jesus is going to make a whole new society in which all the consequences of evil are going to be dealt with. They're all going to be made right. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on earth when he returns. He's going to allow us to win. We get to reign with him. The humble will indefinitely inherit the earth. But then this kingdom is going to translate, the kingdom that he sets up for a thousand years on this earth is going to translate right on into his eternal kingdom. And there will be no more curse of sin. There will be people living in right relationship with each other. There's not going to be any problems fighting and rancor and all this taking place. And there will be a right relationship with God. You see, heaven is not just about individuals. Eternity is not just about uh, one individual, me, getting saved. It's about a new kingdom, a group of individuals, a society of those who are saved. It's a full kingdom. He changes all of society, you see the way he meant it to be. And the good news is that Jesus is the king of this kingdom. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's righteous. He takes no bribes. He needs no collusion. He doesn't have to run a dirty campaign to get elected. He will establish righteousness and justice based on truth. Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says that for unto us a child will be born, unto us a son will be given. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that great Christmas passage. But then it says this in verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. What's he saying? He's saying that when he comes back and he's on the throne and the government rests on his shoulders in those moments, that there'll be no end to the increase of his government, meaning this is not heaven because in heaven, in eternity, he's, there's no need for the increase of his government. It's already going to be completely his, right? We're hoping that when you get to eternity in heaven, that he just doesn't have a part of the control over that, but that he has complete control over it. No, there's going to be, when he comes back, an increase of his government and an increase of peace. I'm so glad that we don't get to heaven and we have to, uh, you know, heaven's got some stuff that's still not right and the stuff is not peace. 
No, but when Jesus comes back, he comes to a world that's fallen and broken like we see, like we experience. And what does he do? He comes back and he helps his kingdom to grow and his influence begins to move in greater and greater degrees all the way across. When Jesus comes back, that's what it's going to be like. When Jesus comes back, he's going to see greater peace. And in fact, in Isaiah 2, he says that nation is going to come against nation and he's going to judge between the nations, Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. And when he judges between them, then they are going to uh, take their swords and beat them into plowshares. They're going to reposition. There's going to be war no more. That's what's going to happen when Jesus shows up. War no more. Now, you think that good news to the world around us? <laughs> I think it's wonderful news. The world will function as he means it to function. The kingdom and salvation is about him more than it's about us. And that's the message our world needs. Part of his kingdom, people of his kingdom are the people who are about compassion and caring. Love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and righteousness are what his kingdom is about. So we become salt and light in this world and we live great lives of peace forever. We are about justice. We are about the sanctity of life. We are about God's design for the family as the basis of society. We are about righteous laws. In the millennial kingdom, we will get to be the leaders of this under the authority of Christ. In Daniel chapter 7, it says we get to reign and rule with him. Those are here his now. To be a part of this kingdom requires repentance. To be a part of this kingdom requires a new allegiance. It means I'm not, I'm not following my own thing anymore. I'm following Jesus. It requires being born again, being forgiven of our sins and having a newness of life. And then we become a part of his kingdom where we're brothers and sisters in Christ together. And this means we surrender to follow him as his disciple. People need to hear about this good place, this good king, and this good message. And so he says, it shall be preached. And boy, does the world ever need to hear about it. It has to be. It has to be preached. BLM is not going to bring this about. Cannot. Political parties are not going to bring this kingdom about. It cannot. Jesus is going to bring this about. Preaching Jesus, leading people to Christ. This is the hope of the world. Friends, I have to tell you, racial reconciliation has always happened when the people become true followers of Jesus. I remember when I was uh, years ago, uh, our, ch our church sent a team, and we were there in Tatarstan. We had a prayer meeting together. We had about 15 of us in a group in this room, guys, just the men in this room, the ladies were in another room, and the men were in this room, about 15 of us. We had eight different countries that we were part of. There was Uzbeks, Chubash, Tatar, Russian, uh, German, Armenian. Uh, we were Americans. What was that or two? Um, I'm blanking out. Eight of us out of 15 people different. And these were all people that normally did never got along in the past. <laughs> but in Jesus, we were. I remember hearing about a missionary in... Um, uh, was doing church planting in the Philippines. In the southern part of the Philippines, they had tribal groups that were uh, fighting against one another, and, and this group was fighting against this group in the tribes. But there was a church planting happening here, and there's church planting happening here. And, and those two all came together with this organization and had their little conference, and they all came to the conference. And at first, when they got together to the conference, a church planted from that tribe and a church planted from this tribe, they got together, they kind of were standing a little bit aloof because <laughs> their tribes were at war with one another. But then they cut together, they begin to worship together and pray together. 
And after a week of time together and, and, and knowing their oneness in Jesus Christ, they went back and began to bring healing between the tribes, and their goal was a sense of, sense of unity. I remember when I was in seminary that I was eating lunch with a, North, uh, with a South Korean, Jong Bae Han, and I was saying to Jong Bae, I says, Brother Jong, he was telling me about his family and what happened to them during World War II. That the Japanese had come in and killed his, his, uh, his family, his uncles, and he saw his cousins and, and so forth and his, and his grandparents. And I said, you know, I said, brother, I said, uh, Jong, I said, Jong Bei, I said, here's our Japanese friend who's at seminary too. I said, what do you think of this Japanese man? He goes, I hate him, but in Jesus, I love him. I can't understand the atrociousness of the experiences that he must have felt having seen his family slain, what that would do to his heart for bitterness. But to get to the point of saying, Jesus, I love him. And we'd worship together and take classes together and do ministry together, and there's a difference, you see. That's Jesus. Christ's principles have always been good for the poor. It's been good for the education of the masses. It's been good for the economic well-being of people. Jesus brings law and order and a fair court system to litigate differences. He always does what is right. That's the kingdom that's coming And it needs to be preached that Jesus is going to set things right. So when you begin to preach the gospel, you preach, yes, you need Jesus Christ because we all need Jesus Christ. We're all broken, and Jesus is going to make all things right. He'll make you right, and he'll make us all right. Come be a part of that. Be a part of that kingdom. And look forward to the return of Jesus Christ to make things good. We preach this, and the whole world is a testimony. You know... Did I push this right? Something not happening. There we go. (laughs) Thank you. Testimony is a public witness. You know, the world takes notice when a church of Jesus' followers are making an impact. And you can see it. And people see the love of Christ when we act as Christians. And it shows up. When Christ's kingdom shows up in us, it makes a difference. It becomes a visible testimony. You have to have enough people following Jesus in an area so that other people in that area can know who you are and can see that who Christ is and learn about Christ. And then it becomes a testimony among the nations. These India villagers on the left are very, very poor during COVID. They had nothing and they had no food and we were able to see... The gospel go forth and people brought food and took care of them. In Ethiopia, uh, the, the, the COVID situation was so bad that the pastors, they lived basically on everything that the, the congregation brought, chickens and bread or whatever that might bring that week. That's all they had to live with their families. Because Ethiopia shut down all gatherings, the pastors were literally starving and their families were starving and their churches were completely shutting down. So what happened was people got together and we were able to bring food. Bags of food like that right there allowed them to, to live for two months with their families. And the people see this and they saw that and the church grew. So it has to become a testimony among all the nations. Do you know that the unreached people groups today in the world, that there are 17,461 distinct people groups in our world? Ethno-linguistic groups. 
7,432 of these are unreached, 42% of the world, meaning that they have less than 2% evangelical Christians in them. And uh, 100 of these largest unreached people groups, uh, 44 of them are in India, 8 in China, 7 in Indonesia and Pakistan, the three largest are the Japanese is the largest one, and then the Sheikh Bangladesh and the Sheikh India. These are Muslims that had come from the Middle East and moved into India. The largest UPGs, 43 of them are Muslim, 36 Hindu, 9 are Buddhist. 22 unreached people groups have 20 million or more people in them. Unreached. Got to reach them. Unengaged people groups. I would say this, that up to a couple years ago, there were still some unengaged people groups, meaning there was no gospel at all, no missionary, no church amongst those. Nobody in those groups. Now, today, the last couple of years, every unengaged people group has been targeted by some mission agency. There's none that are, not, that are left untargeted. He says, then the end will come. As we work for the Lord, we understand that there's an ending point. There's an ending point to verse 14. <laughs> yes, the gospel is going to go out, but there's an ending point. The task is going to be finished. And who's to do the finishing? We are doing it according to the power of Christ, the believers in Jesus Christ. I want you to see this was happening in the world over time. In AD 100, there were 360 non-believers for every active believer. Then in AD 1000, it had dropped down to 270 non-believers for every active believer. By 1500, it had dropped down to 85 non-believers for every believer. And by 2010, there were seven unbelievers for every three believers. Do you see the ratio? Friends, I tell you, the gospel was moving and spreading and, and multiplying and going further and further from the U.S. Center for World Missions. The annual growth rate of, of, of the world is world population is 1.2%. Christians on the whole, 1.2%. Hindus 1.2%, Buddhists 1.3%, Muslims 1.9%, but evangelicals 2.6%. 2.6%. We're gaining on the world in that. In other words, the gospel is going out. 86% of the world, this world is blue and red. Christians in the blue, unevangelized in the red. 86% of the world's 3.8 billion Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists don't personally know a Christian. 86% of those. So there's still a lot of work to be done, which leads us to understand that now is the time to keep going, to keep moving. Jesus is going to come again. Judgment is going to fall on all those nations and leaders who've refused the Lord Jesus. Those who don't bow to Jesus Christ will have to bow to the Lord but that means that they need this witness. Do you know that every unengaged people group is now targeted? Wycliffe has had a plan to begin Bible translations for every known language by 2025. Uh, a year ago, I talked to a Wycliffe leader who said that they are on target for reaching that goal. A Bible translation for every 
language group that does not have one. They will have it started by then. See, a church planting ministry in India, one that we know of, that, uh, that we partner with in Global Assist, is seeking to plant 100,000 churches in the villages along the Ganges River system. And they are reaching, they're over, at this point, they're over 13,000. They planted over 600 churches uh, last year, uh, the last part of the year. There's another ministry I'm aware of that uh, has seen over 13,000 churches planted uh, along the, the southern part of the Sahara and the east part of Africa. Over 13,000 churches of uh, anywhere from, from 15 to even up to 100 people. Uh, that some, they, they start in the house and then they can get bigger and they can, they can build a building in different ways they do that. But amazing. And yet there's still 2.6 people, billion people, 5.3 people who don't claim to be Christian. Friends, I tell you, we have a mandate, but now's the day to live for eternity. Now's the day to live for eternity. So what do we do? If this is the mandate that God has given us. Well, I believe Acts 1.8 is clear. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even in the remotest part of the earth. We have to be Jesus' witnesses. We have to take on this meaning of why the church exists. This is why the body of Christ exists today. It's the core of what we are, is to make disciples of all of our people in our church so that we have them rooted and grounded in Christ and our children come to know Jesus. Yeah, but to go from there and to see it take place around the world, this is something that God has put on his heart. It's the whole reason he's, he's pausing and hasn't come back yet in the first place. And so we need to be those who sacrifice and those who are intentional with our plans, putting them into effect, putting things into our schedule, putting it on our calendar, saying this is what we're about. How can we leverage who we are to the greatest degree so that we can make the biggest impact, the biggest splash with the numbers of people that we have, the dollars that we have? And I love this about God because he says in the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13, he says that this kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You can take as little tiniest of seeds, this mustard seed, and put it down, and God will grow it to make it bigger enough, and it'll house birds of all the come and make their nest there and be at home there. Is God like saying this to his disciples? He was not preaching that to the masses. He's preaching this to his disciples. And he's telling his disciples before he left this parable of the kingdom. Why did he need to tell those 12 guys that that was what was going to take place? Because he was telling them, if you take these 12 people right here, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you three rows, 12 people, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. 12 people? Are you kidding me? What is Jesus, how's that going to happen? It's when Jesus Christ empowers them and equips them and they multiply and they multiply and they multiply and they're faithful to do it. And what happens is that God begins to, to do this work. And he takes just a little tiny thing and he makes it big. And I shared this story with you before and it just grips me still. I can't get away from it. When Stromsburg Evangelical Preacher started in 1910, there was just 12 very poor Swedish farmers. They had no idea, no idea that their church would grow to be, on an average, 180 people. 
That's one thing. But then to find that they would be, have planted a church in Tatarstan, Russia, and amongst the gypsies in Penny, Russia, and to help Afghan refugees come to know Jesus Christ in Athens, Greece, and to see a ministry started among the sea tribes peoples of Indonesia, of Muslims, this little 12 people in Stromsburg, Nebraska, small things, God does big things. God does his way. So you can say, well, what about Stanton Evangelical Free Church? A little town in the middle of state that's not very populous. But what you're doing when you support missions and you're involved in it and you're praying for it, I tell you what, it's making a difference. It's making a difference. And the more that you can come alongside those unreached people groups and those peoples who are there and helping those partners flourish and spread the gospel, the more it's an amazing thing. At the potluck, I might share some stories from that, from Global Assist, the ministry that I'm a part of that helps, comes alongside some of our global ministry partners. I can tell you some stories there that is taking place, but I want you just to think, keep thinking about those 2.24, actually 2.6 billion now, new statistics, the 5.3 billion who are not in the majority of a Christian land. Don't you think about them, what it's like to be lost, what eternity without Christ is like, and the hope that is brought for them, the hope that's brought for them when Jesus shows up in the form of a Christian with the Word of God. Today is the day to have our eyes focused on eternity. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today's a day not just to live for myself and can I get by and eke through. Yes, times are tough. They're tougher, and I think they're going to get tougher. But that's where the resolve of Christians is. We're sacrificial, intentional people living for the kingdom. And eternity is a great reward. Let's bow together. Father God, we thank you that we have the privilege just to not be caught up in, in getting by with good things and nice things in this world right now but that we can be a part of reaching people who will know you forever and ever and ever. We get to change the landscape of heaven. We get to change who's there because we get to be involved in this task that you've given us, this mandate to go and preach the kingdom of God, the good news of this kingdom to all the nations. Because then, Lord, when that takes place, we also know that when you know that the time is been finished. The task is complete. You'll come. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day when we get to rule with you. And you begin to make all things right and all the racial problems start to go away and all the, the, the bickering and the backlash and the biting, all that begins to take place. Lord, you begin to, to work through your people who are yours and ruling and reigning with you. And oh, what a good kingdom it will be to eventually even have the total curse of the fallen nature of man to be dealt with. Oh, Lord, might we rescue 
Thousands and thousands and thousands in Jesus' name. We ask that you would do it. And you would use us personally, but together as a body of Christ, I pray for Stanton Evangelical Free Church. Thank you, Lord, for their generosity. Thank you for their love for you. And I pray, Father, you pour out your spirit in such a way that you just bless them like the land of Goshen, the people in the land of Goshen. You just bless them incredibly so that they could be a blessing for all eternity. Lord, thank you for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.